Welcome to Enriched Menopause, where perimenopausal and menopausal women can learn what's going on with their bodies and how to thrive during this stage and beyond. You are not crazy and you are not alone. I'm Dr. Jessica Rich. Let's do this together. Welcome back to Enriched Menopause. If you listened to my episode last week about fibroids, I promised that this week I would be talking with Dr. Jocelyn Wallace, who is a doctorate of physical therapy, about how to prepare for and recover from surgeries, whether that's a myomectomy or a hysterectomy. And that can be for fibroids and, of course, can be for a lot of other reasons that women are going through hysterectomies or other major surgeries around the time of perimenopause and menopause. So Dr. Jocelyn Wallace, welcome. Thank you. It's so glad to be here. I'm happy to have you. And of course, we've talked about this issue several different times before. I will share because you've given me permission to that you are my my patient and have undergone a lot of this yourself, but of course, work with a lot of people professionally about this as well. So tell us about your background and how you got interested in physical therapy, and particularly in helping people to recover from myomectomy and hysterectomy. The way I got into physical therapy, I have a lot of orthopedic issues. So I had aches and pains, even from growing up, started having severe knee pain in my 20s, just had all kinds of problems for a young person. And then when I got active, um, I lost 70 pounds. I started strength training. And when I felt in my body, the things that we have control over and how much better we can feel with some simple changes, that's what inspired me to help people make the same changes themselves. Along the way, I also have fibroids. I've had fibroid symptoms since my early 20s. And that was always the one obstacle that obviously exercise and movement couldn't fix for me. So while I was in physical therapy school, I ended up having my first open myomectomy. And that recovery was challenging and lonely. I also didn't do the great work of finding a good surgeon like I did for my second one. But I had back pain with that recovery and just a lot of trouble getting back to exercise even after I was quote unquote cleared. And that is what inspired me to get into pelvic floor rehabilitation and learn how to serve people going through these same surgeries, especially because in the pelvic floor space, there's so much attention given to the perinatal topics. And there's so much that can happen to people in the pelvic floor, whether they've had a baby ever or not. Yeah, that personal experience really helps so much to like know what people are going through and how to help them. And I will just be clear, I am the second surgeon, the one that you said was great, not the one that you but no, I love that. And, and you know, I went through a lot of like orthopedic injuries growing up too. I always worked with physical therapists mostly because I was an athlete, but I, I love physical therapists. I think you guys are magicians and now professionally, especially working with pelvic floor therapists and helping people to recover from surgery and with other conditions like incontinence and prolapse and pelvic pain. Like, I, I just think it's really amazing what you do. So I'm, I'm so happy to, to have you here and to, and to help other people prepare so they don't have to go through that difficult and lonely process that, that you went through. Yeah, absolutely. And I tell people all the time that a great green flag is having physical therapy in your office like you do. 
or mm-hmm. having a surgeon that refers to physical therapy regularly because so many aren't even aware or even I have clients that ask for it and get told no on a regular basis. That's mm-hmm. more common than being referred proactively. Right. And as we've talked about before, so much of OBGYN is focused on pregnancy and perinatal care that like you talked about, that much of the physical therapy is really dedicated to that too. And I find that these issues that Mm -hmm. I focus on that are really more of the benign, so it's not cancer, it's not pregnancy, those types of issues for women really get ignored. And so I'm glad that you're shedding light on it. I want to put spotlights there too, because I think there's a lot more to women than pregnancy and a lot more to women than, you know, potential cancer diagnoses. And we deserve, you know, the best of treatment for these other issues too. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that sort of typical what you see where, where people are not maybe getting the right type of care. So how do you typically see people who repair and recover from this type of surgery? So the most typical complication I see related to not preparing and not getting support in recovery is back pain. I work with a lot of people with back pain that have had abdominal surgeries and didn't realize that there were just little things that they could work on to get stronger, to not have to deal with back pain. And the fix is often quite simple, even if we catch our ears after surgery. That's the most common thing that I see as a sign that someone maybe wasn't well prepared or hasn't really fully recovered, even if they're going to work and exercising and living their life. Other things I see a lot, of course, are leaking, incontinence, a lot of pelvic floor tension issues like urinary frequency and retention and just not never feeling like their bladder is quite empty. And sometimes I see people with prolapse and things like that, but that's actually quite more rare than the other things. So how would you suggest that people prepare for a hysterectomy or a myomectomy instead of instead of the usual, which is basically nothing? <laughs> In the pelvic floor space specifically, the way that I think people should prepare, I think everyone, if they're scheduling a surgery, should get a referral to see a pelvic floor physical therapist, or at least a screening form where they can say yes or no, do I have XYZ symptoms? And if they do have some symptoms, they can go see a physical therapist, if not just for one session, to learn about where those symptoms may be coming from and how they might be able to address those symptoms. So for example, if they are having signs of pelvic floor tension, or they are having urinary retention and frequency from their fibroids, that's a symptom that I have personally, when my fibroids grow, they can learn good bowel and bladder habits and how to work around that to make sure that they're not making the problem worse while they are waiting for surgery and then know how to make the problem better after surgery. Instead of getting stuck in those habits, the habits I see people get stuck in again in that specific example, a lot of power peeing, a lot of going to the bathroom all the time just in case. I see people get stuck in those habits all the time and they hang on to them even after surgery and develop issues they didn't need to because of it. So when you say power peeing, you mean like pushing so that everything can get everything out? Yeah, like rushing everything out as quickly as possible. I think that initial workup is so important, you know, particularly like, you know, a lot of people, they may go in and have an appointment and like they have an ultrasound or some sort of imaging. And then they just go in and the doctor's like, you need a hysterectomy and let's schedule it for this date and don't eat or drink anything from midnight to the night before. And like, that's the extent of it. So if your like preoperative appointment is five minutes long, that's probably a good red flag that you need to get a second opinion on that. 
we should be looking mm-hmm. at a lot of different symptoms. So, you know, whether, whatever you're having a hysterectomy or, or other surgery for, you shouldn't just be looking at like, what's the main thing that brought you in. It's not just about the bleeding or the pelvic pain. You also have to look at your bladder function and your bowel function and how the rest of your body moves. So sometimes doing more testing to see if maybe there should be an incontinence procedure done at the same time as a hysterectomy. Maybe there are alternatives to doing the hysterectomy. Maybe we can do a less invasive treatment for fibroids if they're there. Maybe we can work on the pelvic floor if the issue is prolapse or incontinence, and you may be able to avoid a surgery altogether. So making sure that you're getting a good workup before Mm -hmm. the surgery is really important. But then let's say you've had the workup, you were scheduled for the appropriate procedure, there are some things that you can do to prepare from my perspective as a, like a medical perspective, I would say, you know, good nutrition before is always important. So making sure that you're getting, you know, good, healthy food in your body just to help with your recovery and your body to be at its sort of optimal. So, you know, fruits, vegetables, proteins, like all the stuff, you know, you're supposed to do all, already avoiding the more toxic things, particularly smoking, which really increases the risks of surgery in general. And then, you know, really like, again, strengthening where we can before the surgery to aid in the recovery. And and sometimes this is more or less available, but like for strengthening purposes, what would you recommend? And of course, I know every situation is a little different, but there are there a few kind of tips that you would give what to look for preparing for the surgery? I would focus if you could only do a couple of things i would focus in on strengthening the core specific to stability exercises or like if you go on youtube and google something they like to call it deep core exercises the main muscle we're working with that is the transverse abdominis but stability core exercises things like dead bugs and things where you're building your core endurance learning how to contract and relax your pelvic floor and strengthening your hips would be mm-hmm. the things that most people need to do the most often that you can get done in five or 10 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. It can be that quick and that simple. If someone has time to do more, generally making their whole body strong. Nobody ever regrets having stronger legs or stronger arms when they're trying to move around in those early weeks after surgery. And you need help pushing yourself up to sitting, standing up when you don't have your core muscles functioning well yet is not an easy task. So nobody ever regrets getting their legs and arms stronger too. Of course, you know, with the surgery, there are different approaches that we take depending on what the issues are. Um, you know, a vaginal approach, we may do laparoscopic or robotic, meaning smaller incisions. There may be a more open approach, which can be that kind of C-section type incision or like a bigger vertical incision. So depending on the approach to surgery, the restrictions and the recovery are, of course, a little bit different. Bigger incisions typically mean more pain and more restrictions. But in general, you know, most people after a surgery like this, you know, shouldn't really be lifting anything too heavy. And that amount varies with the type of surgery. Shouldn't be really doing like a lot of like strenuous activity. Definitely shouldn't be doing anything in the vagina for a hysterectomy, but that's a separate issue. But, you know, usually we're looking at like a four to six weeks at least to kind of have those restrictions. But of course, a lot of people kind of take that as like, well, I shouldn't move. And we don't want to just like lying in bed because that has risks in and of itself. And activity can actually, you know, help the recovery process. So how do you help to move somebody through once they've had the surgery, like into their recovery process? 
typically if someone has an uncomplicated situation, I start working with them a week after surgery. And we're doing what I would call low pressure movements. So starting laying on your back where you're not creating any intra-abdominal pressures to just lay there on your back. You're not putting any pressure down on your incisions, wherever they are. And we're doing gentle movements, things that help to open up your joints and just help the body flow and move well. And then as they're starting to feel better, I can see that they're able to manage pressure in their core in those positions. Then we start doing general body weight exercise, maybe some standing upper body exercise with bands or very light weights, working on going up and down the stairs, body weight squats, easy stretches that don't stretch their healing incisions, things like that. And then as that's coming along, we start adding in intensity and intensity can be so much more than just how much weight people are always so focused on how much weight, but it can be going faster. It can be doing more. It can be doing a bigger range of motion. So we progress all kinds of things besides just weight, always watching to make sure that the body has competence in managing pressure. That's the big thing that I am teaching people over and over again, as they go from floor exercises to squatting to running or going back to whatever their thing is, it's teaching them how to manage the pressure in their intra-abdominal cavity and making sure that they don't do things that they're not ready for yet. So Mm -hmm. an example of that is people get cleared and then go and do sit-ups and like, yes, they're clear, they're safe to exercise and they can get into a seated position, but are they doing it in a way that's not creating repetitive strain on their core yet? Usually not. They're usually not actually ready for it people kind of go back to that, like, you know, maybe what they were taught in high school gym class to do in terms of like exercise yeah. with their, their sit-ups or whatever. And there are so many other things that you can do. I love that you start a week after surgery, even with just like lying down and opening up the joints. I always want people walking around. Of course, you need to listen to your body. Everybody's recovery is different. So if something hurts, stop, don't do it, back up a little bit, but kind of progressing. And and this is one thing that even you have taught me that, you know, sometimes it can just be breathing exercises for the core to start with. So kind of Mm -hmm. expanding the abdomen with a deep inhale, and then kind of just contracting and pulling everything in on the exhale, which may be the first step in strengthening. That's a nice, gentle movement that is really going to give you more strength. I mean, you never think that breathing is going to do that, but breathing work, if you're doing it appropriately and with intention and with Um, kind of acknowledging where these different parts of your body are, it can really make a big difference. I love to like band work or light weights. Even sometimes I have people do that, you know, sitting down just so they're not putting pressure on their vaginal incision or not getting too fatigued from the standing, but able to do a little upper body strength. And then the lower body strength, you have to be careful. Like I don't want people like squatting a lot of like weights or anything like that. Cause again, pressure on that vaginal incision mm-hmm. is not a great idea, but there are different exercises that you can do movements of the legs, you know, putting some strain on the muscles without putting strain on your, on your vaginal incision that I think can, can make a big difference. I love like Absolutely. the, the dead bugs that you had mentioned before, but that would be like more of a progression down the the road and sit-ups maybe, maybe far, far down the road. Yeah. (laughs) Most people are not ready for sit-ups. A lot of people are not ready for dead bugs, even at six weeks. They're usually Mm -hmm. doing some modified version of that, but it can be that patience and recovery can be such an excellent learning opportunity because you never want to be squatting in a way that's putting excessive pressure down 
on your vagina, even if you don't have a vaginal cuff. So just learning how to feel those things in your body is a tool that will serve you for the rest of your life. So important. Every time you're exercising, like you said, not just with surgery, but it should be the proper technique. I'd much rather somebody do less of something or less weight with the right technique, and it's going to do serve them much better than doing more or heavier with the wrong technique. So this is going to be important all the way throughout, making sure that you have that right posture, that right technique, and getting awareness of where your muscles are and, and how you're using them. So I love all of that. And the breathing is such an excellent point. Breathing is the first thing I give people. I often have them take their incentive spirometer home, the little thing that you suck into that a lot of hospitals give you. I -hmm. have them take that home and use that for exercise going Mm -hmm. forward. And I never have them let it go. They're still doing breathing exercises three, four, sometimes six months after surgery to connect with those muscles before they go and do their harder activities. I see so many people who, you know, usually I'll see people about two weeks after surgery and then usually about six weeks after surgery. And so many times, especially if I'm doing a minimally invasive surgery that has very small incisions, at two weeks, people are expecting to be 100%. And I think having those small incisions makes you forget that you just had a major surgery. So while When I see people at two weeks with that type of surgery, most of the time they're feeling pretty good. You know, they're walking around, they're usually back to driving, they're feeling pretty good. But I wouldn't expect anybody to be 100% two weeks after a major surgery. So the point you make about giving your body time to recover, I know in our like fast paced world now we want everything done like yesterday and we don't want any discomfort or anything like that. But you actually have to let your body heal and go through the process and do it properly so that you get better long term Mm -hmm. results. And everybody's recovery Mm -hmm. is different. Like I said, some people are feeling great by two weeks. Some people, you know, may take four or six weeks or even three or four months at times before they're feeling totally back to normal. So you have to just be patient with the process, do everything that you can, and then just trust that the results will follow. Absolutely. And I love to remind people too, that you're not just healing from the surgery. Even if you have the best surgeon in the world, like I do, you're still recovering from what your body was going through beforehand. So I get a lot of pelvic pressure, a lot of urinary symptoms from my fibroids. Having surgery makes that 95% better when I had my fibroids removed, but there's still these little lingering things that you're healing from. Mm -hmm. And definitely a lot of people need that pelvic floor work. In addition to just the surgery Mm -hmm. itself, like the body undergoes a lot of stress from both that process leading up to that and from the surgery itself, whether it's from the anesthesia or just the fact that, you know, your body's been put under a lot of stress. People may be anemic from bleeding from these other things. So Mm -hmm. it's a lot of different things that you have to recover from. And then, of course, there's the psychological process, too, which is different for everybody, depending on you know, what they're having done and and how they've been experiencing that beforehand. Absolutely. And then the, if you became sedentary because of all your symptoms and you haven't been able to exercise in a long time, and if you're also going through menopause or perimenopause at the same time and dealing with the aches and pains that can come with that, it can be a lot to navigate besides just healing from the surgery. Well, Jocelyn, this has been so great. Is there anything else that you wish that people knew going through this process? If there's anybody listening that hasn't made the decision to have surgery yet, I would urge them to seek a surgeon with excellent training, 
ask them how many surgeries they've done, what their training is like. Don't just go to your neighborhood doctor and the first doctor that you see. That's one of the things that can make the biggest differences in your recovery is choosing the right person to work with. And I highly recommend a minimally invasive gynecologist like myself, even if you are planning to have a more open approach to the surgery. Again, that initial workup, I think, is really important. And seeing what your options are to see, you know, if you actually need a more invasive surgery or if you can do something that's a little bit less invasive. So somebody who has fellowship training in minimally invasive gynecology, like myself, would be a good place to go. And then, of course, seeking out the physical therapy either before or after if you're suffering from those symptoms and to evaluate for how you can increase your recovery. Typically, pelvic floor physical therapists have specific training in the areas that we're dealing with with hysterectomy and myomectomy. Yeah, absolutely. And if you are a fitness-minded person, you're an active person, you want to seek out somebody that has the education and the experience working with people that do the thing that you want to do. That can also be a tough space to navigate where you'll find professionals that will tell you not to do things, not to lift, not to run. Our job is not to remove options to exercise from people. It's to empower them to stay active and stay strong no matter what they're going through. So you want to find someone that does that for you. Right. Definitely. It's really important when you're seeing a doctor or seeing a physical therapist that you help them to understand what your life looks like, what you want your life to look like. So sometimes, yes, you've not been able to do things anymore because of your symptoms and you'd like to get back to that. Sometimes it's that you're really active and you're scared of losing that. You know, there can be a lot of different things. And of course, we're going to treat the the pathology and the problem, but we really need to know what your life looks like, what your job looks like, what kind of activities that you're doing to know what's going to be the best approach and fit into your life. So that's where, you know, yes, finding the right doctor is important, but also making sure that you bring that information about what you do. And sometimes we may tell you not to run for a little while, like when you're recovering, but we're not going <laughs> to take those options away from you entirely. Yeah, I see that all too often. And that that's another red flag. No one should be yeah. taking options from you. Well, Dr. Jocelyn Wallace, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for all of your tips and everything that you shared. If someone is listening and wants to work with you, where can people find you? My handle is the same on everything. So on Instagram, it's Dr. Jocelyn Wallace, Dr. Jocelyn Wallace. My website is drjocelynwallace.com. Contacting me through either of those is an excellent way to reach me. All right. And we'll link to all of those in the show notes. Thank you so much. I really appreciate talking with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review and share with someone in your life who may benefit from this too. Remember that while I am a doctor, this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is for informational purposes only. Talk with your doctor about what may apply to you and your health. We'll see you on the next episode of Enrich Menopause.